2: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: They'd bring me to the old woods, my father and mother, when I was small. They'd say its name aloud to me Penda's Slake. And they'd tell me that every name in this world has two meanings, one of them buried. That these woods had a thirst in them, just as you or I had a thirst. That we had a responsibility to see that thirst was quenched. So, we would be performers in a piece that had been acted out through the slake, again and again, with people playing the different parts of the chaser and the chased, since time first began. They taught me a song, and we sang it together, my mother and father and me, as we walked our way through the woods. And we whispered it, to the sacrifice who had come with us, its head bound in thick sackcloth. And the harmony of our voices was the sweetest thing I'd ever heard. And the words were a poetry that was sacred and only ours, no one else's. We will bring you terror, and you will bring us meat. You will make me savage, and we will make you fleet. You thank us for the chasing, we thank you for the feast. The grass leaps up about your carcass, long and lean and sweet. Will be your chosen hunters, and you, the god we eat. These are the silt verses. And ahead of me, taking flight through the trees. I can see our disciples in order of their arrival. Daisy Belinkin as Charity, David S. Deer as Sid Wright, B. Narr as Faulkner, Calder Docherty as Stanton, Maeve Debrune as Carpenter, and Jimmy Yamaguchi as Hayward. Created by John Ware, and produced by Mona Hussein. Audio production by Sammy Holden.
4: Good morning, folks, and it's time for the six o'clock news bulletin. Our top story today: in the Miller's Bank of Glottage, law enforcement have reported a troubling slew of mechanosacrificial sacrificial crimes in the abandoned automobile factories. These factories have been closed down for twelve years now, folks. So sacrifices are not permitted there, and local residents are urged to stay vigilant for any signs of unlicensed worship. Do you know what your children are speaking to late at night? This is Sid Wright. Starting your day right.
3: <sighs>
1: Proud alone, Jester. The river rises. Carpenter is sleeping. Let her sleep. She's wasted enough of our time. Her sojourn in the woods led us nowhere. She's led by her own pride and obstinacy, which she takes as gut instinct. She doesn't know what it means to be chosen by God. She led us to a dead end. She'll wake this morning chastened, humbled, ready to accept that a different approach is needed. And yes, I have some ideas on that front. But I'll be led by you. I turn on both of the taps in the sink, both of the taps in the bathtub, letting the water run in four flowing streams that make the pipes behind the wall shriek and bang. I take the chalkboard out from my case, I prop it up in front of the bathroom mirror, and I begin to etch the sacred prayer marks out upon it. Practicing, washing away, practicing again. Prayers of gratitude, prayers of beseechment, ritual signs of the high tide at morning, and the low tide at dusk. Everywhere I go I etch these in hidden places, for the faithful to find and follow. Because others must know that they are not alone. My handwriting is careful. Precise. Even beautiful. At school, it was remarked upon. You, kid, you're great at mathematics. And you, you'll be a natural tennis player. But you, Faulkner. You've got good handwriting. Not the most practical of talents. But I'm grateful for it all the same. As I mark and wipe and mark and wipe, eventually I must get something right, because the running water in the sink and in the bathtub begin to twist, the hot stream flowing into the cold and winding about itself, turning itself about and upwards into parallel streams to rise in a joyful, impossible ascension, reaching for the dull gray ceiling and, beyond that, a stagnant yellow sky. We're checking out today. I'd like to settle up.
5: No problem. Just need to print out the receipt. You were back late last night.
1: Well, yes, I suppose we were. We stayed out late. Bird watching.
5: Must have been hard. In the dark.
1: Looks brighter today anyway.
5: Alright, so for two nights, that's 12 regular apiece, and then there's the filter tax, which adds 15 erratic. Where'd you say you were heading next? I didn't. Well, I've got all the local maps of this territory right here under the desk. Show me where you're trying to get to. I can point you in the right direction.
1: No, that's a... your, um, security camera. Mm-hmm. The green light wasn't blinking before. You've turned it on.
5: Oh, <laughs> well, just thought it was a good idea to be sensible. You know, need to protect my guests in case of any trouble.
1: I suppose that's one advantage of the sun coming out. You must have guests coming in to enjoy the good weather. A weekend out on the river.
5: Oh! Sure. (laughs) We had a handful of others coming in last night. I expect a few more couples today. It's going to be busy.
1: The board is visible behind him in the gloom. The keys look dusty. Only two empty hooks. Sister Carpenter's. And mine. I'd actually like to leave my case here as I head out for breakfast. Would you mind terribly storing it in your back room?
5: Uh, yes, of course.
1: Thanks. It doesn't have a lock, so I just want to make sure it's safe.
5: Not a problem, not a problem. Here, uh, l- let me take it from you. And uh if you need anything else at all, please don't hesitate to...
1: The river rises. They told me this sort of thing might happen. At the seminary, the Catabasians were very clear with each of us that when we headed out on the road, we might find ourselves forced to face off against enemies of the faith, those who might attempt to trick or arrest or murder us. And this is nothing to be afraid of, these inevitable confrontations. You mustn't hesitate. And you mustn't shrink back. From their consequences. They must be handled. With grace. And cunning. And unyielding will. And all of these things. In time. Will be written into the verses. An early test. Of the young prophet's talents. A triumph. For the trawler man. And his servant Faulkner. Who at the time was only just beginning. To prove himself. If my hand is shaking, that's only from excitement. And if I feel uncertain and a little frightened, well, that's only because the hotel ear bound to a chair and glaring back at me reminds me indisputably of my father. It isn't in the face, and it isn't in the shock of white hair. Perhaps it's in the eyes. Dad had a funny habit when we were young. He'd never quite look at you. It wasn't just me. He did it with all three of us, holding entire halting conversations with us while keeping his gaze just fixed on an empty patch of air that was elsewhere, his hands twitching in their sleeves as if he was thinking about pruning his garden. None of us ever spoke about the fact that we had a father who didn't look at us which meant that it took a very long time for me to actually realize that this was not normal. This was not just a part of talking to your father about school grades or holiday plans. I'd look back and forth at my brothers and wonder, were they seeing it? Were they as confused as I was? Or was it a defect in my father's sight that I'd somehow failed to understand? Who could possibly be causing this?
5: Please, listen to me.
1: But eventually, as sharp as I was, I understood. Dad, like the perfect gardener he was, was setting boundaries. He needed to hold himself at a distance from us. I don't know for certain whether it was a sense of shame that he wasn't a more active parent, or the lowliness of our surroundings, or even that he hated us by association for what had become of his wife. Part of me always suspected it was more than that. He didn't have any strong feelings about any of us specifically, but he didn't want to be here, in the same kitchen as us, in this life and this body. He wanted to be something else, somewhere else, and he dreamt of these possibilities as he gazed into the depths of the television screen each night and we were the anchors that were keeping him tethered to this reality, with our insistences on conversation, attention, being fed. If he didn't ever quite look at us, he could keep our animal needs satisfied, but he could keep on pretending that he was elsewhere. My friend the hotelier, through bruised and blooded eyes, is doing just the opposite. He won't stop looking at me. He stares right at me, bold and mocking, as if he doesn't know that he's supposed to be afraid. So perhaps I'm not quite sure why he reminds me quite so much of my dad.
5: You've already got the security tapes, so you don't need to worry about those. I can give you the safe code, and there's money in there, and a couple of watches.
1: You already know I don't want the safe code. And you know I'm not interested in
5: watches. Alright, I'm a captive audience. So what do you want?
1: I want you to tell me the truth. How do you know us?
5: Know what?
1: If you drag this out, I'm not paying for a late checkout. How did you guess we weren't really bird watchers? <laughs>
5: I could see that from the moment you walked through the damn door, you fool. But then last night, I went through your rooms. Found the etchings you left underneath the bed. Found your little book, too. What, you thought you were being subtle? I could see you coming from a mile away. I knew you didn't belong here. Nobody comes here at a bird watch.
1: I belong here more than you'll ever know. These are my sacred territories that you're squatting in.
5: Oh, so you are one of them. We really thought we'd seen the back of you mud-worshipping freaks. It was a good day when they drove you out into the hills, you know. We cheered to see your chapels burn. My father and mother told me how they danced on the ruins of your false faith shrines. They should have gone further. Should have followed you into the hills and wiped you out. You hear me? Go jump in your sodden river. See Siva doesn't drown you just like it drowns everything else. I'm talking to you. Hey, where's your boss?
1: Excuse me?
5: The other one. The one in charge. I want to speak to her.
1: I'm the one in charge.
5: Uh, hey, hey, what, wh- what are you doing with those?
1: If you're familiar with our faith, I'm guessing you'll know something of our rituals. The right tides won't come for a sacrifice unless you take the necessary steps. First, you need to bait the hook. And next, you mark the flesh.
5: Wait, 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 just give me a second, give me a second! Are
1: we the only members of our faith you've encountered, or have there been others?
5: One of you came to live out of town a decade or so back. An artist, he called himself. We'd ride up the river and see his statues staring back at us from the banks. Eyeless faces. Long necks. Another freak. We could see him, mumbling and muttering down by the waterside, etching his signs and binding the reeds and knots, and we knew him then for what he truly was. He kept dogs to try and drive us away. He didn't want us coming near his bungalow, seeing who he was talking to out in the lonely places.
1: What happened?
5: We saw to him. What do you think? Saw to his dogs, started giving him a beating or two whenever he tried coming into town looking for supplies. (laughs) Until he got the message and left. Fled up river into the wilds.
1: Why did you hate him?
5: If you have to ask that, you're too far gone yourself.
1: Tell me more about the artist. What was his name? What was his name?
5: His name was Roke.
1: Roke. Tell me how we get to his bungalow.
5: Take the river road north for about an hour, keep on the left as it splits, and the road becomes track and the fields rise up. 113 Long Ray Mansions. You'll see the stone heads, towering over the reeds, welcoming you home.
1: Thank you. You've been a tremendous help. I take the empty tub and place it under the sink as I fill it. The water clouds and darkens. I can see something staring back up at me. It's not my reflection. Not even close. But the thing in the water meets my eye and it smiles at the side of me just as I smile back. All of these people have forgotten you, man. Even their hatred is inchoate. They don't know what they're afraid of. But the fear is all they have left to cling on to. I'm going to remind them. I'm going to show them what's coming
5: for them. You're a sensitive soul. I can tell that. You're not going to take this too far. Do something you can't undo. I've got the measure of you. I... You're a
1: good judge of character. That's something I could never take away from you. I'm glad you understand me. Just go and bring your chair for Here we go. What, what, what are you? I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to make you a saint. Hold still for me now. I etch the canticle marks across his forehead in a hand that's careful and precise and beautiful. The water rises in yearning, twisting tendrils from below, reaching up and out for what's been offered. I deliver it.
0: No, don't! <laughs> <laughs>
1: I watch him buck as he drowns The man who reminds me of my father I watch the dark water ripple as it reaches him Pours up through every choked orifice And he thrashes and screams As the trawler man's crawling changes are brought upon him Dry as he might to resist I take a step back as he rears up and free from the tub no longer capable of being contained his dripping tendrils reaching gloriously up towards the sky like clear water surging forth from deep and hidden places and I tell myself it's all right there's no need to worry They won't write about this part. They'll write something different.
4: Tea that tastes good and helps you see the world exactly as it truly is, but also offers you the wakefulness and productivity that you have come to expect from us. Third Eye Tea is headed to Chemists next week. Please do keep an eye out for it, because if you sleep too long, it will be gone. This is Sid Wright, starting your day right.
0: I'm drowning in gods. A god in the woods. A god in the radio. A god in the water. Everywhere you look, that glut of thought and meaning and purpose. And there's a god in your pain as well. When you open your eyes and the first thing you feel is that twinge of a fresh wound, an extra level of surging sensation from muscles and tendons that you'd come to take for granted, a revelation and reminder of the meaningful work taking place beneath your own skin. That's a voice from within you that needs to be listened to. There's a voice in the raw divot where the flesh of my calf used to be, And it's calling me a damned fool And then I remember There was nothing for me in the woods Nothing for us in this town We should already have left this place behind If only we knew where the hell we were supposed to go next Faulkner. Faulkner. Shit. Shit. I would like some pancakes and a very strong cappuccino, please.
2: Busy, isn't it? Guess last night's excitement has everyone up and about.
0: I wouldn't know. I was out of town last night. What happened?
2: Oh, they uh, found new evidence regarding those missing fishermen, serious enough to call the police.
0: What happened to them?
2: Oh, they suspect something horrible.
0: You can't just drop that on the table and leave it there.
2: As I understand it, one of the other fishing crews began moving their junk into the missing men's boathouse yesterday evening. Well, it had been long enough, and there's no sense in a good berth going unused. They poked about, salvaged what they could, and then found something in the water beneath the mooring jetty. Lobster pots, woven wicker. There had been uh, carved stone dolls carefully placed inside, one for each missing crew member, each of them etched with uh, ritual signs and clinging with leeching barnacles. Someone had marked those men for sacrifice. I'm sure you'll tell me you can't imagine anyone from around here who'd do such an awful thing, can you?
0: Wouldn't know I'm not from around here.
2: Yeah, people always say that this sort of thing happens in other towns, but not here. We're just not like that here. Are you married? Do you mind me asking?
0: Are you my mother?
2: (laughs) I'm sorry. I just honestly can't think of a single good reason why anyone who isn't from around here would be hanging around in such a dreary place by themselves here with a partner though a wife or husband yeah I can see that some god-awful fatally misconceived anniversary weekend where you end up fighting and screaming in the dank and dripping holiday cottage and finally realize how far apart you've drifted honey I thought it'd be rustic you never listen etc.
0: There's two dozen species of rare waterfowl along this stretch of the white gull alone. The gold-billed oyster-catcher in particular is more plentiful here than anywhere else on the peninsula. I'm bird-watching. Ah. Are you married, then?
2: Increasingly less so of late. Hmm. I, um. read... Somewhere, that every relationship is a negotiation, but it's when things are falling apart, that's when you realize you're doing most of the negotiating with yourself. What do I need to put in to get the response I'm looking for?
0: Sounds rough.
2: Rough doesn't really cover it. It's a very specific sensation when your marriage is falling apart. I mean, there's mingled terror and shame and all the rest of it, but also anticipation. Fervent, maddening anticipation. At long last, this thing between the two of us gets to be resolved. Something we set in motion actually gets to end, and we can Come out on the other side as something else, maybe shrunken and saddened, perhaps something made anew. It's like you're tangled up in barbed wire. Draw closer, it'll be agony. Pull away, and you don't know what pieces of yourself you leave behind. But you have to pull away, or this person, this gravitational orbit is going to destroy you.
0: There's an alternative. You could destroy them.
2: I mean, yes, but that would cause harm, and when you're beginning a new life alone, the last thing you want to do is cause any harm. You can't be reborn with that in your heart. No escape is truly clean, but at least once you've fled, you don't have to look at the mess.
0: I don't think you have any choice in the matter. When someone's been that close to you, when you've been known so well and you've been loved so closely, when every wrinkle of you has been picked out and exposed to another sight, they can't be allowed to continue on. It'd be like losing your faith, but letting the lie of it keep standing.
2: I read a story once about one of those uh, parochial gods somewhere south. There was a uh, stone bridge with iron railings over a small and inconsequential river like this one. And uh, after a time, the young people began to leave locked padlocks dangling from the railings as young people do. And after a time, the story began to spread that there was a god of love dwelling in the bridge. And if you both went down to the river at dusk and you both leant over the side to fix a padlock to the railings, well, if your love was untrue, the lady of linked hearts would know, and you'd feel a sudden stabbing in your hand and look down to see the padlock locked over your own palm, and then as the weight pulled you down, another lock clamping through your cheek and mouth, rendering you unable to speak, and another lock, and another, slicing unstoppably through bone and flesh, iron chains and padlocks, dragging you down and over the side to a slow and choking death beneath the river's surface. And your, uh, your date would cry and mourn your death, but they'd probably be okay in the end because this was the proof of it. Your love for them was never true. They could uh, try again, bring others to the bridge, and if you passed the Lady of Linked Hearts trial, you were free to marry with confidence. That you'd found what you were looking for, the real deal. The problem with gods is the more people who know the story, the worse it gets. You know how there are uh, some couples that renew their vows every couple of years? (laughs) Like spinning the chamber and holding the gun back up to your head over and over again. Anyway, eventually, The authorities got wind of it. They sealed off the bridge and sent a couple of uh, experimental theologists down with a bag of cats. And soon enough, it became very clear that the bridge had no method to its sacrifices other than its own hunger. It was just feeding as it pleased. Love eats us all. I suppose that's my point.
0: Are you an expert on outlawed gods? (laughs)
2: Just a uh, reader of papers. Don't turn me into the cops. Do you uh, want another cappuccino? Sure. One more here? So, what are you going to do? About what?
0: About your marriage.
2: Uh, watch and wait, I suppose, for a sign? <sighs> right, I'd better get down to the docks. They've got a Sybil down there, casting yew branches, seeking guidance from the cloak. It's embarrassing, this sort of superstition, but the ritual's written into procedure, and once something's wormed its way into procedure, there's no prizing it free. It might as well be in our hearts. Uh, pleasure talking with you. At me. <laughs> I'm sorry, talking at you. What did you say your name was? Sandra. My name's Investigating Officer Hayward. Have a good day, Sandra.
0: Thanks. You too. Shit.
1: Was that right? The way it happened? Did I get it right? Have I failed in some way? Is it okay that I ran as the saint reared forth? I suppose it's only natural. There's always some small part of yourself that betrays you. But when I stepped through the motel door my case in one hand into the gray light of Marcel's crossing... I feel renewed, resolute. Beyond the end of the promenade, past the temporary and rickety jetties of the town, I can see the deep waters of your river glimmering in the sun. We've left a sign, my trawler man, for others to follow. If the current state of the dozy pilgrim motel is any indication, it could be days or even weeks before anyone finds it. That suits our purposes well enough. But they will find it in the end, once we're long gone. And the faithful and faithless alike will know that we came this way.
3: Hey! Hey! Over here!
0: Where the hell have you been? I was looking everywhere. There's no time
1: for that now. Get us on the road. I know where we need to go next.
0: Something happened.
1: I've taken care of it. I've scrubbed our names from the motel guest book. I've wiped down our rooms for fingerprints. As far as
2: anyone knows, we're... Another minute of your time, ma'am.
0: Open the window, Faulkner.
2: This is, uh...
0: A fellow birdwatcher.
2: Hmm. Nice fan. Not really. Well, I suppose you and your fellow bird watcher will probably be sticking closely to the water's edge so you can spot oyster catchers and storks and such. Me, I'll be hanging around town for a few days to find out what happened to those poor fishermen. You never quite know where an investigation like this will take you, but I'm sure I'll be drifting this way and that way in search of information That's the thing about the river. There's only two ways to go. So if I run into you again, it's just 50-50 odds. And it'd be pretty reasonable for me to take that as a sheer coincidence. If I do see the two of you again, driving your little van in the same direction as me, skulking about in the fens and the shallows, not Doing much of note. I might give you a friendly wave and ask what birds you've seen, and continue on my way. Fifty fifty odds. Drive safe.
1: Who is that?
0: Plain clothes. You spoke to the police. Um oh, bastard talked my ear off for half an hour before he introduced himself. He's hanging around town trying to find out what happened to the fishing crew. Don't worry, he doesn't have anything on us. We'll just have to be more careful from now on. Alright, so what's the story? Where are we going next?
1: Sister Carpenter? I... Uh, I think I've
3: made a mistake.